Welcome to episode number 13 of the TurfCast podcast. Tonight we are sitting down finally for another episode. Again, we always say this every single time that we're going to get on a better schedule and life isn't going to get in the way and all these things we have going on, but for some reason that doesn't seem to happen. So RD, appreciate you joining again and we're doing our best here, but we're not fulfilling our duties, I don't think. Doesn't it feel good to break resolutions though? You know, like really let yourself down, build it up like, man, we're going to do this. We're so excited. And then just fall flat on our face. But you know what though? We get on here, you know, we wrap for an hour or so and it, it just goes well. So I don't, you know, I have zero expectations. I just try to come in here, have a good conversation with Turf about, you know, with you. Exactly. All right, so we're going to be talking about some pre-emergent stuff. Um, what else are we going to talk about here? Probably some seeding. As I got the spring seeding project coming up, I'm breaking all the cardinal rules that everyone says, no, no, don't ever do this. So I'm going to be doing it to go through the pain. And uh, we're going to answer some listener slash viewer questions. Ryan, you've been all over YouTube now as such a huge celebrity. So <laughs> I am not a celebrity, sir. I'm merely... Bowing at the altar of the YouTube gods. That's all I'm doing. <laughs> but yes, you're right. You are a risk taker. You seem like uh, the kind of guy that would do a spring seating, perhaps even do the Sunday crossword in pen. You know, <laughs> ballsy. I, that's what I like about you. Yep, exactly. So let's start off with some pre emergent talk. I know we're getting close to that point here. Even I'm probably getting close to that point. It's a little early for us, but the weather next week is looking like it's going to be in the 70s or low 70s, kind of hanging around there. So things have moved up quickly. Now we know in the Midwest that things could also go downhill very quickly, but you kind of have to play the game here and see what the weather looks like and sort of follow along. Yeah, so I'm looking at uh, GDD Tracker from Michigan State. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that one or not, but yep. it's a really cool uh, website where they use uh, phenological data. So they look at um, growing degree days, uh, and in this case for crabgrass and uh, annual broodgrass, pre-emergent, they look at a 32-degree Fahrenheit base temperature, right? And they add those growing degree days up. And so looking at the map right now, for you, you're right on the cusp of early to being in the window. Now, again, they're just using this phenological data in terms of growing degree days. And this is modeled out for like everything, right? So it's not just like crabgrass or uh, annual bluegrass or stuff like that. I mean, this will tell you down to the growing degree day when um, buds are going to form on a sugar maple, when those buds are going to break, and then when they're going to push out leaves. That's pretty cool. Right, those different events. And so uh, it's kind of interesting if you look at this, it's a good tool to know when you're, getting close to that window so yeah i mean this is the point now ryan where you want to stick this uh soil probe in the ground and get a soil temp and uh start watching it really really close but are you gonna do a traditional pre this year or not i thought you were well pre on part of my yard and that's another thing Uh, that we're going to talk about here too so i don't think i'm going to do the backyard although i did notice today that there are some major kind of uh, broadleaf weeds coming in. So that's not going to do anything really for that anyway. But definitely some issues there after I, I made some mistakes last year. So I think I might have to I might have to do a little intervention with that. We'll see. And definitely it is not yet fully recovered by any means from both snow mold and all the trails that are still back there. 
This isn't this. You didn't make any mistakes. This is just another chapter in the DVD series of the Ryan Norlon Care Train. Yeah, you know, that's that's all it is. I told so, my wife that by the end of this year, you know, if we have our property uh, somewhere else and we're still at this house for our where we're living currently, I still might redo my backyard again. But we'll see because it's you kind know of what a, I thought about as like a good content thing and a cool thing for you to do is kind of make. But you know what you can do different grasses or whatever. But you know, put the put the rye grass to bed in the front and do kind of like the all American yard with the fall seating, and leave it there for whoever this new homeowner is to be kind of like, hey, it's not rye grass mowed at a half an inch. So don't feel like overwhelmed, but it's just a good old fashioned Americana lawn yeah. that somebody's going to buy that house with or whatever you know whatever's going to happen with the house. But that you know that'd be cool. Yeah, that could be interesting. Um, what, what would I plant in that situation, though? What do you think? Ooh, I see. I I think you go with some type of mixture. So, I'd like to see some type of a um, a bluegrass tall fescue mixture, right? Or uh, something like that. So, I think you need to talk to your your friends with the seed company. I got say, that hey, coming what? out. You know, I got that coming out. A tall fescue blue. So. What's the what's the breakdown on that? Uh, I think it's going to be ninety ten. I think. Okay. Yeah. So eighty twenty ninety ten. Those are good, good ratios for sure. And I think you can jump in on something like that and definitely make it work. So yeah, I'd be all for that. Remember though, when I when I actually planted some bluegrass as part of that mistake last year, though. Remember, I told you when I called you, I was mm-hmm. like. I already put some bluegrass down, but I don't really know how much it was because I wasn't measuring anything. And you were like, yeah, you're going to have some interesting things going on there. So I don't really know what it's going to look like. I mean, I know right now the fescue is greening up more than my bluegrass ever did at this point. So, Oh, yeah, for sure. But hey, back up for a second. Hashtag willy-nilly right there. Willy-nilly. I was just, yep, just I had just a moment there. there. Hey, I don't know how much we got. We got a couple handfuls. Maybe a bucket full. I don't know. You know, like it kind of harkens you back to those days, you know, in the medieval times or something like that, where, you know, there was no like, there was really crude measurement systems. You just went and said, ah, I've got some bluegrass, right? And I'll just put that out. Yeah. How much is that? Some, you know, more than a little bit, less than a lot. Well, my something thinking like was, is I already had bluegrass there. How much I didn't know because most of it looked dead. And so I was like, well, I'll add some more bluegrass in and then I'll overseed rye and then I'll just start (laughs) cutting it really low and whatever will happen will happen. Well, then once I accidentally put all that fescue out there, it's like, yeah, I accidentally put some bluegrass out too, but I don't know how much. So Mm. we're just, Mm -mm -mm. who knows? It could be the mistake that, you know, saves the day on that back one. I mean, yeah, it got hammered by the snow mold, but I got a feeling it'll come charging back here. You'll be fine. But yeah, the old Americana lawn. I think nowadays, you know, um, you know, a good uh, three turf type tall fescue cultivars, and then uh, one or two bluegrass cultivars. I think you have a really nice lawn with that for sure. Yeah. So, uh, I I would look forward to some content like that for sure. I will say that I haven't been uh, I haven't been too unhappy with how it's looked so far. I mean, the new fescues. The new fescues are not what I sort of imagined the old what the old stuff looked like. That was the biggest backhanded compliment to yeah. turf type false fescue. Anyways, you know I'm not really. I can't go all that. out on it. I just can't. Yeah, sweet, you know, sweetheart, the dress, you know, it's not ugly, but let's be honest, it ain't great. Okay, 
you know, that's the kind of stuff. If you were, if she, you know, if that grass had hands, it would slap you upside the head, probably. Right? Yeah, I may. Yeah. Or have your shit packed in the, and put out in the driveway for you to sleep outside. Or even worse, you know, you'd fight about it, and then you'd have to sleep on the pout on the couch with the little pillows, like just the throw pillows. <laughs> you're going to get the good pillow from your bed because you're, you know, you've talked bad about how it looks. It knows now. So secrets out, tall fescue. Ryan Nor thinks, eh. It doesn't make me unhappy, but eh. it's just how I feel. I'm sorry. It's the truth. It is what it is. But it's always going to be number three, right? It's always going to be the middle child to you. I might, I mean, I might be a little happier during the middle of the summer. We'll find out. We'll see. I, I, I think you will because, again, the, the thing that gets undersold on tall fescue relative to bluegrass and especially uh, perennial ryegrass is. It's heat tolerance, right? It do, it does a really good job at tolerating high heat situations. So yeah, I mean the last two summers that you've had with triple digit temperatures and all that kind of stuff. Now again, like that's extreme heat, but again, it does probably the best out of all of those. I mean, you typically see that used in northern and midwestern climates, right? Like a lot around, uh, like in golf courses, bunker banks. So like you've got that. Uh, heat radiating off of the sand you know it's really really hot in and around those areas and it's a great application for something like that in terms of where uh, tall fescue might be the best species to use relative to some of the other cool season turf types so i i think you'll be surprised it's it's like any grass you know you're you're gonna have times where you're super happy with it you're over moon and then there's other times where you're gonna you know call one of your turf buddies up and be like dude I just made a huge mistake. Yep. Never done that before, though. Uh, nope, never. No. Never. Hey, it I, usually, I turned it right around. I turned it right around in a positive. Hey, lots of great content, something new for you to learn, something new for you to see. And yep. look at, you know, now you just, you know, you come out of winter hammered with snow mold and you've learned that this is probably, uh, this is probably true. This is probably the worst it's going to look. I'll give you that. Yeah. I've got some tall fescue here that I looked at, uh, this last week at a client property that was it looked worse than your backyard, if you can believe that. Worse. I and saw a lot of stuff this year, pictures from things on Twitter too, and different golf courses, different areas mm-hmm. that are like in bad shape. So yeah. I didn't feel and, too and bad. And you'll be surprised how quickly they bounce back, and that's just the nature of the beast. But you know, you want it to look good from you know middle of April through end of October, and it will. It will look good then. Yeah. I just want to get to a point where during July-ish, that's usually the old bluegrass that I had back there, no matter what, mm-hmm. it just seemed like I got to about the end of July and it was just wanting to croak no matter what I did to it. It just, I could cut it tall, I could leave it shorter, it didn't matter. It was like, I don't like this weather and no matter what you do, you're screwed. So, Yeah, and I think you'll see that too. It's just a lot of the... Um a lot of the breeding improvements that they've seen and you know over these last i don't know 10 or so years you know particularly with tall fescue and bluegrass has been you know root development and um better stress tolerance right and so i think you'll see that the just even with those newer varieties of tall fescue relative to older varieties of uh, kentucky bluegrass a completely different species that It'll be a game changer. It might not be up to Ryan nor standards, but I think it'll be close. I think we'll 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 touch. You know, we might not medal. You know, in the Grass Olympics, but strong fifth place finish. Okay, yeah, sure, we can feel good about that. I can probably deal with fifth. I can I can do that. 
Yeah, you'll be a you'll be a, he- a hero in the motherland. So, yeah. but let's talk about this pre-emergent thing. So, uh, explain to me how you're going to break it up, and a little bit of the how and the why. Okay, so I was thinking that I wasn't going to do pre-emergent on the backyard because one, I just seeded it, and so I was like, well, I don't know if I want to or I don't, but it, it's something that I haven't done back there for. Three or four years, something like that. No pre-emergent back there, and so I was like, "Well, maybe I should use that as a test too for all the people who are always like, no, you're gonna keep, you're gonna ruin your yard if you don't have pre-emergent down.' So then I can be like, here you go, I'll show you that it's not <laughs> ruined.' So, or if it is, then I can show you. Okay, let's talk about post-emergent control. So I was thinking mm-hmm. about that, and then also. The front yard, I still haven't made a decision on because last year I didn't do it there. And about July-ish, I found a few areas of breakthrough, but it was, you know, minimal stuff, like stuff that I could go out and pull by hand easily. And so that mm-hmm. so I'm trying to decide on that. But my neighbor across the street that I've been helping with his yard, we did that yeah. renovation last year. I've been trying mm-hmm. to make a decision there on maybe helping him put down at least something. So maybe we should talk about that today, about rates, kind of what happens on, should you do that on a new yard? Should you not? What to talk, what to kind of look at there? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm always on the fence about doing a new seeding the following spring. And I guess it really depends on a couple of things for me. Like if, I, if I'm looking at like the totality of the situation, the first thing I'm looking for is, hey, do we have healthy turf, right? Do we get good establishment the previous year and are we mostly filled in and the reason i ask that is again what you know what kind of voids do we have what kind of percent of cover do we have and if we're upwards of 90 plus percent that's sort of my trigger of eh, okay we can probably get by because there's not big huge voids that are going to lend themselves of being predisposed to uh crabgrass encroachment right or summer mm-hmm. annual weeds and I mean, weed encroachment so that's the first kind of test for me. The second thing is um, what, you know, what am I going to do to take care of that lawn this year? So is it going to be irrigated? Is it not going to be irrigated? And what kind of fertilizer program am I going to have it on? Am I going to be able to keep up with it? Because, you know, I think for a lot of folks, and I, you know, and I'm not generalizing necessarily our audience, but just in, in general, right. I th- and you tell me if I'm wrong here, but a lot of people I think renovate a lawn and then, feel like they got to the finish line because they made it through winter it came out it's green it's glowing it looks good and then they kind of quit on it a little bit mm-hmm. right and they maybe don't put as much effort uh or money or time into it at that point and that can suffer so i think you got to look at you know too how you're going to take care of it in terms of again your to- your overall maintenance how are you going to fertilize it are you going to be able to you know push it to continue to fill in are you going to do some overseeding on bare spots if you have those are you going to irrigate it um, all those things kind of go into again how are we going to manage this because you know if you're not going to do some of those things then it's probably just easier for you to put a pre-emergent down at that point and not have to worry about spraying out post mm-hmm. right because it really is for me it's a, it's an either or right it's not a none of the above it's an either or so um, I look at that and say okay hey if you're if you're not committed enough to you know, water it or fertilize it. I'm not judging you. I'm just saying like, you ought to just put a pre-emergent down and make it easy on yourself. That's, that's the easy, safe play. Um, it's not going to necessarily be hundred percent effective, but 
you know, it's probably easier than trying to get you to go out there and spray post and maybe have limited success if you get out there too late or get out there at the wrong time yeah. uh, to spray out crabgrass post. Especially. I would say in his situation, of course, mm-hmm. he's on the Ryan Nor overboard plan with everything <laughs> since I'm right here. So uh, in his situation, it's going to be all of the above in terms of you know, fertilization and irrigation and all that stuff is going to be kept up as much as he possibly can and with my help over here too. But, I mean, we got to, it's greening up nicely. We got to probably, I'd say at least 90% coverage. Okay. Uh, then, uh, you know, I think I think it's a, it's okay if you're in the Ryan Nor program and you're going to, I'll reserve judgment to hear your hand, but maybe just for... Um, demonstration sake, right? You go ahead and do his mm-hmm. and just see what happens, right? Um, you know, again, those bare spots I'd be concerned about, if there, but if there is no overseeding to do in terms of filling in bare areas or areas that just quite haven't filled in as well as you would have liked them, then I see no problem with that. And again, that's my only other caveat there on the on the coverage piece is if you think you're going to have to do some overseeding, and even if it's in the spring, like I'd rather you do it in the spring and try to get it filled in with desirable grass when that weather is favorable for it than to, okay, well, I'm just going to have to wait till fall. And then by fall, you know, the opportunistic weeds, you know, the summer annuals and some of the others have filled into those spaces or, you know, are starting to compete against what you might seed into. And now we're talking about post-emergent herbicide and it just, it gets really funky you know, at a time that you want to be seeding, because now we got to pick out seed safe herbicides and do we get the control that we need? I mean, there's a variety of issues that go into that. Yeah. So, uh, again, I think the easy button is just, hey, we're going to roll with the pre emergent, we're going to get it out, and then um, we go into fall. And if we have to do some overseeding, we do it then at that time. Yep. And we should be <clears throat> crabgrass free when we do it. And if not, we've got some options there to clean that up prior to seeding. Yeah, with his right now, I would say it looks like it, it looks like bluegrass that I mean, it's a it's a mix for those who don't know it. It's uh, you know, predominantly bluegrass, but there was some ryegrass in there when we got it started. Mm. So Of course, right? Exactly. I mean, I'm not going all bluegrass here. I'm not that kind of crazy. So <laughs> Oh, come on. <laughs> Charity ryegrass guy. But uh I mean, you know how bluegrass is on that first spring. It's not, everything's not just completely spread into all of the little tiny nooks and crannies of everything. So it's all covered for pretty, I don't really see many bare spots anywhere or anything like that. I know that as soon as it starts to really get pumping here in the springtime weather, it's going to start to fill in. And right now, the bluegrass on my the north side of my house, those mono sands that I did, which last year looked mm-hmm. like absolute shit, like right about now, they mm-hmm. are like, it is on fire. It's like the greenest thing you could see from space right it's now. Weird. It's on the north side of your house too, yeah. right? Yeah. Man. I don't know, man. Like that's that's one that is hard for me to reckon and explain of why that's like that, but you must be doing something right. I don't know. Like, I mean, I must be doing something right, but it is it looks like almost prime form right now and compared to last year in spring when bluegrass, I mean, the, from my experience it's usually it has a good color, but it doesn't go. It doesn't move along quite as quickly as some of the other things. My ryegrass looks like Bermuda right now. So, hmm. yeah. And so I think that. So again, you're saying that the back you're considering gonna, that you're going to go ahead and do 
the the pre-emergent, right? I'm considering in the back not doing the pre-emergent and just rolling with it. And for the mere fact that I see some large enough spots in the fescue that I'm just not positive right now that I'm not going to have to seed a little bit. Okay. All right. That's fair. So then the front is going to get pre-emergent. The front I was considering doing the pre-emergent, yes. Okay. So why? Why would be, like I said, last year there was a small amount of breakthrough. So the why would just be, does that make a difference? Does that stop? I mean, obviously it should, but do I need it? No, probably not. I would say like, do I absolutely need it? No. And that's what I was going to say is like, if it was not RK and it was, you know, the guy who's not just, you know, middle of the road, Joe six pack, but you know, even a little bit on the, um, enthusiast hobby aside, right. Of lawn care. Would that change your decision at all? Or would you be like, Hey, you know what? I think I can let it ride and handle this either one, you know, simple hand or, mechanical removal right like i can spot these plants and just pick them out or um spraying it in post i mean where would you be at if 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 ryan door was down like about three and a half notches from where he is right now if i were joe six-pack as you put it i would probably say i would use a pre-emergent because i'm thinking in my head that as soon as i get to summer I'm going to be a little less interested in my lawn and it's hot outside and I don't know, I don't really want to go out and I'd rather be on the lake than me go outside and pull some uh, crabgrass plants. So Right, because you want to be Joe Sixpack of Keystone Beer, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Today's our sponsor. Hopeful, <laughs> our hopeful sponsor. I If they're listening right now, I'm drinking it. RK is drinking it. We love it. Joe Sixpack of a Keystone. We love you. We hope that you'll come and sponsor us, give us money, and by money we mean cold beers. And so, turf equipment. That's what we really want. Yes, Keystone branded turf equipment. If you can have Toro or John Deere uh, wrap that whole thing up in Keystone, we'll operate it and wear Keystone gear ourselves. They did a Absolutely. car for NASCAR, so I mean, I'm sure that they're interested in everything motors. There's yet to be a beer company that sponsored a triplex, and they could be the first, right? <laughs> I mean, why wouldn't you want to be the first at anything? Yeah, especially something like that. We'll get on that, but yeah, I, I agree with you. Joe, you know, the the middle of the road person, and it's hard. It's all about a time thing. I mean, you're on your lawn every day. You know, I'm on, you know, fields every day. It's easy for us to say, oh yeah, just do this. But I think if it's it's about like keeping that window open as wide as you can make it, and I and, and people always get freaked out about this word, but to make it easy on yourself, people you know inherently think that that's lazy or something like that. But when it comes to lawn care, it's trying to give yourself the best opportunity for success, and a pre-emergent does that. I, I will say that um, there's certain situations though that we get into, like your backyard, that you might have to do some seeding, and it's like okay, now I'm going to have to you know, choose between the, the, you know, that wide window of, Hey, this is easiest, but it might not be the best thing for my lawn because I'm going to have to do some seeding either in spring or my seed window come August might be uh, sooner than when my uh, pre-emergent is going to run out. Mm -hmm. So it's that, it's that hedge, right? And it's, I'm not trying to make it sound more difficult than it really needs to be, but 
that's the whole deal is give it give yourself as much leeway as you can to make it uh make the goals attainable yeah right for you and i that that's a totally different set of circumstances than the normal everyday homeowner and i have no judgment against them like i have no problem with somebody that says hey i'm throwing down prodiamine and i don't care you know i just don't want any crabgrass i would say hey you're doing the right thing for you because that's what you think you should do now you know if you are at a uh certain commercial establishment in Georgia and you're throwing down rhodiamine with, you know, potassium carrier and saying that that's green with the grass. Now that, that I might have a problem with that. I might call out and say, mm, no, that's not true. But in any regard, I think in this case, it makes total sense. So what, uh, how about a property like, the that large acreage that I did last year, you know, out with the uh, barn dominium because that's a tough yeah. one because he had kind of a th- he has a decent strand of grass going, but he also has probably thin enough areas and it's tall fescue to where you're like, mm, this is borderline. What should I do? But I it was obviously a field before that was all tilled up, so you know there's going to be weed pressure coming. Yeah, and I mean, my biggest concerns out there would not only be crabgrass, but foxtail and some yeah. of the others, right? So um, if it were me in that situation, and you know me, I, I always I always ask way too many questions and have to know all the freaking details because I'm a nerd, whatever. I get it, okay? Right? I still drink cheap beer and like the party. But don't, <laughs> don't judge me. But um, in that situation, my plan of attack, if it's, if it's as you're saying, I would do the pre-emergent. I would be ready to spray broadleaves come May, right? And then I'd also be ready to come back and do a quinquoric app in an overseeding come end of August-ish, right? Yep. So I can clean up any crabgrass that I get broken through, maybe throw um, some speed zone or something like that in there just to clean up any broadleaves at that time, although it's going to depend on temperature. you got to be careful with that. Um and then if you don't throw in any broadleaf, you just roll with the queen chlorac and clean up the uh, crabgrass. You're also going to get some activity too on some broadleaves, like particularly clover. That'll be really good on with the chlorac, but uh, I'd be ready to come back in October-ish, you know, so your seeds had two or so months and maybe like three or four mowings, hopefully at that point, mm-hmm. that you can go ahead and put down uh, a three-way or something like that to control your broadleaf. So that's going to be more of a weed management type situation just as much, if not more so, than a, hey, let's continue to seed into this and get a good thick stand of grass that's going to outcompete weeds. So in year one, like you were in year zero last year, year one, I'd be looking at that more of a weed as a weed management situation, which everything's on the table at that point. And we're going to use um, the seasons and the weather patterns to our advantage when it comes to establishing seeds, but um, kind of playing defense a little bit Mm -hmm. there. And I don't know for sure he was talking about originally possibly doing some dormant seeding during the winter, like towards the end when, like right when the snow had come off. So I don't know if he did that or not. I haven't talked to him since then, but I'm going to go out there pretty soon and kind of see where things are at. But speaking of Quinclorac, I think maybe we should talk a little bit about that one too. I saw some discussion today on our little group that we're in about about that one, some different things, like what it does, what it doesn't do. I think it's one that probably doesn't get talked about 
as much as you know the buzzword tenacity, which we're going to talk about too. But well, it's funny because like twenty years ago when it came out, it was eh, it's probably about twenty. Um, man, it was like the savior. It was literally like tenacity. Like people people looked at it and viewed it like as the savior product, right? Because prior to it, um, a lot of the selected herbicides for crabgrass were real touchy real touchy in terms of you know you could uh take out crabgrass for you know with with a lot of them but you can also take out some desirable turf too and so um you know that chemistry and its use has evolved over time and so with Conclorac, what is it really good at let's talk about what it's really good at it's really good at early stage like one two three leaf crabgrass control it's really good at clover control in particular, um, at least knocking it back, maybe not t- completely taking it out, but it's really strong on clover. So it, you can see here that it's a pretty versatile piece because it's got both um, action on grassy weeds, right? It's got uh, activity on those, and it's also got activity on some broadleaf weeds too. So kind of like tenacity where we get some activity on grassy weeds. We also get it on broadleaf weeds. So you can see kind of the similarities there. The other thing too that it's it's known for, you're able to do, and this is why it's a real it, it was a really versatile product or a good product to have in the arsenal um, back then before tenacity even existed in the turf market was that it's safe on the day of seeding for any of our cool season species, right? So we can spray out crabgrass. Let's say we're doing a, an August seeding. Well, before. I didn't have the luxury. I had seed windows that I had to wait for on the herbicide label to go ahead and spray out that crabgrass, hopefully get it, hopefully not take out um, too much, if any, desirable turf, and then seed into that after a period of somewhere between um, two and maybe four weeks, something like that, depending on the product. And now I can spray this the day of, take out the crabgrass that's growing there in late August and should be you know, kind of coming to the end of its life cycle help it along and give my seeds a competitive advantage. So those are the things that it's good at. Now let's talk about what it's not so good at. Speaking of that really quickly, did I see today in the label of drive though, that it said something about bluegrass on there and like time of seeding, there was some, so that's the, there, there is restrictions on when you can put it out after seeding. Okay. I'll go double check the label here on specifically to bluegrass, but, um, on the other, on all these other grasses, then tells you a, a a window. Like it's a really nice table in that label that tells you, hey, however so many weeks after seeding, you can then apply it to tall fescue. I think tall fescue might be the longest interval, if I remember correctly. I'm gonna pull this up and double check it because I'm sorry, RK, oh. but I don't have the drive accelerate label well. memorized. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. I hope to be in the national herbicide bee next year. You always have these can just you, ready at the at the ready. Can you can you use drive accelerate in a sentence, please? This can is too much thinking for me right now. Can you give me the language of origin? <laughs> <laughs> All these things. All right. So where is the seating? Let me see here. Use my old friend here, Control F. Let's do that. Yeah, I saw the seating table today, seating. and I was going to save it and. You didn't. No, I didn't. didn't. But you meant to. And we we appreciate that good effort, that good faith gesture of meaning to, but 
I meant to call Keystone and have them send us a truckload of beer, but I didn't. All right, I've got so one right here. That's a that's not a truckload though, sir. That's not nearly enough to. All right, so table four. Seating at seating. What is it not good at? So no fine fescue, no creeping bent grass, no Kentucky bluegrass. Now. Yeah, that's what that, I saw, and I was like, this doesn't make sense because I'm pretty... No, and I'll be honest with you. I've never seen that before on the Kentucky Bluegrass. Now, 28 days after emergence. So, uh, again, um, I'm not a scientist. I don't have anything to back this up. I've, I've not seen a problem with that necessarily, but I can see from um, a herbicide standpoint of this particular herbicide and how it works, why... Kentucky bluegrass might be problematic. But in any regard, before seeding, I'm okay. At seeding, I'm not. So I could literally go out and see. What's the interval before seeding then? Well, so that's what I'm looking at. can be applied seven days or greater prior to seeding. So I've got a seven-day seed window on that. That's, yeah, that's pretty, pretty good. good. Yep. Yeah. So that's my window. On, you know, that just changes the game on Kentucky bluegrass because... The only thing I'm not good at seven days before seeding is seashore pespalum, which that's if we're sprigging it. And um, oh, that sounds fun! Man, if we get listeners that are sprigging seashore pespalum, I'd like to hear from them. Please, <laughs> I'm serious. Like I'd love to talk to those people. It'd be interesting. But in any regard, so it it it, it has those those good qualities. The the things that it is not good at are. Um, well, first of all, is is after you get past that three or so leaf stage, like it's pretty abysmal as far as a control product on um, crabgrass, large crabgrass and smooth crabgrass uh, once it matures, right? So once we get past that um, one or two tiller stage, especially, it's pretty much over at that point. Like you're just not going to see good control unless you mix it as a tank partner with uh, an HPPD inhibitor like Tenacity or like Pilex. And even between those, Pilex is definitely the favorite one. It definitely seems to have uh, some better activity as a tank partner with Quinclorac. So it's about, a t- it's a timing thing, right? We just talked about all the all these things and what's good and what's not, and it all comes back to timing, right? Like, so if I'm going to catch crabgrass, I've got to catch it early. And if I don't, if I catch it somewhere in the middle there, uh, it's pretty much worthless. And then for seeding, depending on what type of grass I've got uh, outside of creeping bent grass, fine fescue, Kentucky bluegrass on cool season, I can do it the day of seeding and be fine. And even on, um, let's see here, looking at the label still, other than perennial ryegrass. So on, um, let's see here, really that's it. Yeah. So all your cool season, you're, you're out, until day uh, 28 for the most part. So, yeah, so you've got that window that you've got to hit. So this is all about timing for sure. And if you don't hit it right, then you're not going to get the control that you want. Mm-hmm. So in no way, shape, or form, and I think this is might, might be where you're going with this, right? What was discussed in, in, in our little group here about its pre-emergent activities? Yeah, so that's what I was confused about because... I one I saw that label thing and they weren't talking about bluegrass. I think they they didn't notice that part of it on there either. They were like, "No, go ahead with any with any type of cool season or whatever." Not counting bent because mm-hmm. nobody really talks about bent or you know 
in our little yeah. But uh, somebody was saying something about having pre-emergent properties to it, kind of like tenacity does. Does like when those weeds come up in your renovation that it had some pre-emergent stuff there, and I was like, "Mm, I don't know about that. No, no, that doesn't exist. And you know, so we, we talked about I think on here before, and I've talked about in other settings you know, using tenacity as a pre-emergent. And it's even a very weak pre-emergent, right? It is not going to be uh, or have the same level of activity that a um, a DNA or um, like a uh, prodiamine or a dimension is going to have, correct? Mm-hmm. So you've really got to ask yourself, hey, what do I want to get into? Do I want to get into and play the game of spraying, spraying post essentially. Right. And trying to time that up. Right. Or give myself as wide of a berth as I can put down the pre-emergent, except that there's going to be some limitations on what I can do. Uh, people freak out a lot about the root clubbing or, you know, um, impacts on rooting and things like that. And that's only if you're using like super high rates, I think, I mean, you can see, um, and study after study that, you know, above a certain rate, definitely a concern. And, you know, it varies between prodiamine and, and dimension, but overall, the rates that we use commonly in turf grass, you know, outside of, you know, the lawn care operator that just doesn't want to see crabgrass and carpet bombs it, you yeah. know, with pre-emergent or um, certain YouTube celebrities that don't know how to calibrate a spreader <laughs> and carpet bomb something of somebody else's property with uh, pre-emergent, that's when you might have issues. But by and large, I think the programs that we talk about here and that you've suggested in your videos for a long time, I have very little concern about that in terms of effects on rooting, um, both in the short and long term. And you know, another question we get um, a lot involving that is kind of about Kentucky bluegrass rhizomes, how much activity, you know, I, I think, I think Matt was maybe talking about that recently about some new studies that were being done that, uh, in regards to that. So do you have any thoughts on that part of it in terms of, does it affect that? No, there, there definitely can be a, an effect on that, right? Because the same type of action that is taking place on, um, new seedlings and their roots is also taking place when a rhizome begins to tack down, push down with roots and push up with growth. Right. So, um, again, definitely in, um, Kentucky bluegrass, you know, we see it and all the warm season grasses are both stoloniferous and rhizomatous. Right. So you can definitely see, um, activity in that regard there. So again, it's, you're really, dissecting it at that point and i'm not saying that that's not right you know me and i know you we that's what we live for right yeah is is the 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 details (laughs) of the details of the minutiae right but in a general sense that's not something that would keep me up at night right um it would be something i'd be aware of and again on like newly seeded or newly um sodded like Kentucky bluegrass turf here in cool season country. I'd think about it a little bit for sure. Yeah. But I would also um, have in my back pocket, a strong post-emergent game 
that if I did have to back off or take out, you know, a second of a split app, you know, second half of a split app or something like that, I'd be prepared to do it and then spray out post if I had to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's a couple of things coming out, you know, uh, there's the prefix thing and there's the old mm-hmm. defender from a lawn supply company that we got coming here. So yeah, get a, get I haven't a, heard of them. Where are they based out of? I don't know. Never heard of them either, but never uh, heard of them either. let's talk about the seeding project that I have going and kind of where we were last year, what the plan was. I know we've discussed this before, but now as you know, things change over time. Shit is getting real. <laughs> yeah. We're getting uh, closer to actual seed down here. So I want to go over a plan with you, kind of make sure I have all my ducks in a row here. Cause you know, this is going to be a make it or break it moment for me here on YouTube. So yeah, I mean, if you ruin a family member's lawn, I think you've, you've jumped the shark. So it's one thing if you kill your own lawn, but yeah. Yeah. And because it's a, and because it's a spring thing, you know, I'm going to get crucified if this doesn't work out very well. So let's go with where we're at now, which is bare ground and no seeding has been done. Although we were going to do a dormant seed, but there was too much damn snow everywhere. So that didn't work. So we're going to clean it up. I will probably maybe drag it once more because it's kind of, you know, things have moved a little bit after runoff and erosion a little bit. And then it'll be time to figure out what we're doing from there. So if it were you and you had that situation, bare ground, spring seeding, 14,000 square feet, tall fescue, uh, yeah, tall fescue. Tall fescue. Okay. So this is in Iowa, yeah? Correct. Oh, beautiful Iowa. Man. So the first thing I would be considering is obviously like, again, we just talked about pre-emergence and all that kind of stuff is what are you going to do? Is this going to be a a, a tenacity situation and trying to use that to your advantage? Or are you just going to go willy-nilly and be like, ah, we'll spray it out the post. (laughs) Who cares? And you know, cry all summer long as you're trying to chase crabgrass and goosegrass all around the place. I was probably going to go with the tenacity route if I could, or I was going to do the not quite willy-nilly, but like tenacity in a starter fertilizer form as a a sort of test. But I don't know if I want to do that. I think that's okay. I mean, 14,000 square feet, I think that's like, so that's like two bags because I think that product comes in a 40-pound bag and it's like, 8200 some it's a weird number but it's like 8200 square feet i think in the bag so you roll with that and i yeah i mean i've seen varying results with that stuff um it's something i haven't tested really in terms of you know when i tell people oh there's a granular option but i never show that or tell them what happens with it so you know i had a um a, a project with the client well it's a it's a um ongoing client I have that we just, you know, we consult every year, month over month or whatever. And they got a donation of that stuff from Scott's corporate. Like they gave them the homeowner version of that. Mm -hmm. And so we had some areas that we put it on and then seeded into and some other areas that we hydro seeded. And I thought it did well. Like, I mean, I wasn't expecting it to be completely clean and it certainly wasn't completely clean, but it also wasn't like hammered with crabgrass. Like you would expect, you know, a spring seeding that was completely unprotected to be. The only other advantage I will say in this situation too is the area that we're doing, it's an advantage and a disadvantage, is it's 
kind of slightly more on the shaded side for a decent part of the day. Like it's going to get the midday sun, kind of the top of the day sun, but then there's a whole row of trees kind of surrounding it that will, as the sun goes into the afternoon, it's going to kind of get that shade back onto it later. So that might be a decent thing too in terms of some of the weeds. You know, still got plenty of sunlight, but... Yeah, I mean, that, that, that's... Uh, the shade thing would be more about like an establishment thing or something like that that I'd yeah. be concerned with, but... Or watering, right? So like just being a little bit more judicious with the water when you start doing that. And so that was my next thing is if you're going to do tenacity, you know... Um, you can go with a higher rate at bare ground, you know, so you could go with an eight ounce rate, come back with a four ounce rate 30 days later. Or if you go with the uh, granular product, you just, there's one rate. And I think it, I'm pretty sure it's equal to the eight ounce rate. Right. Okay. So again, uh, label limit on that is 16 fluid ounces to the air, 16 fluid ounces uh, per acre per year. So, you know, even if you use that granular product, you still have kind of eight in the bank that you can use to help clean up um when take mix with some other modes of action so that's a good thing to have in your back pocket um as far as getting the actual seed down itself and you know now that we're at i wouldn't call it like i'd call it still kind of a loose soil because it's not it hasn't really set up that much so i was you know i was thinking about maybe doing a slice seed thing but then i'm like well i don't know what are what are your thoughts there so 14,000 square feet is a lot. So when you say slice, you're talking about renting like a bluebird or something like that from Home Depot and going over like that. Yeah. I, uh, I or just doing the other route of what I normally do. But. Bro- broadcast it and drag it in, yes. that sort of thing. Yeah. I don't think that you're going to see a huge difference necessarily in something like that. I think it's going to be soil condition dependent and then if you can get the bluebird cedar out there, the only thing I don't like about those particular models, and there's only a few that have, have changed it um, and kind of gone the other direction. So those will drop the seed first and then the blades come behind it to cut in either the, you know, the little troughs or channels or furrows for the seed to drop in. I never understood that. Like how are those blades not like completely destroying the seed coat? And yeah, it doesn't make any sense to me. So if there is one that you can rent that is dropping behind that, that'd be awesome. And then, again, a light drag or a light rake after 14,000 square feet. It's a lot of raking. Yeah, Yeah. I'm usually more of a broadcast. uh, You know, it's just what I've been used to because I never had that other equipment and I was always dealing with smaller areas for the most part. So, I mean, if I went with the broadcast method, that would be fine too, basically. I don't think think you have a problem with it. And maybe it's something where... um, it could be a good test or, again, a good demonstration, like a half and half or do a plot or something like that. I mean, to rent that cedar for four hours is nothing and, you know, see see what you get. I don't know what they're going to have because they don't even have a Home Depot where I'm going. So this is like, you know, this is Iowa here. This is, oh, wait, this is, uh, is going to be a guy with a cigarette dangling off his lip at the rental yard. Exactly. Um, when you go rent the aerator. It gets too dry. You can't do that. <laughs> how do you know how dry it is at my house, guy? <laughs> oh, that's a good flashback right there. For those that, yeah. that weren't listening, last year I went to rent an aerator. This was like right around the end of August. And the guy at the uh, the counter said, 
you know, we're in a drought right now. You can't use an aerator. I said, I've been watering my lawn all year. Like, you don't, why would, <laughs> as, if, as if I'm just an idiot, but yeah. yeah so, that's why you got to freak them out and make them think that you know something about them that they don't know. Like, you know, you can't smoke weed and be on the job. Wait, what? Oh, yeah. I know, dude. I see you freaking out right now. <laughs> Speaking of, turn it right this, back is around, a, this is a side note of another funny story. So my wife and I were walking down the sidewalk the other day and a guy like four or five houses down works for a landscape company and mm-hmm. he doesn't take care of his yard. It's one of those, you know, I work all day. Why would I come home work on my lawn type of thing? So for some, for some reason he decided to aerate his yard. Now, like right now, I don't know why. <laughs> so it's covered in, you know, cores and my wife walks by and he's outside and we're walking and she goes, Oh yeah, you know, it's hard to, our dog was with us, so she's like, it's hard to pick up dog poop when, you know, right after you do this. And he's like, what, what do you mean? Like, he was so confused that he thought she would have no clue what it is. He goes, well, this is aeration. And meanwhile, I'm standing right there, the nicest freaking yard that like is in our entire county, basically. And he knows this is like what I do, but he's trying to explain aeration to both of us. So that was a that great guy moment. out there and poke some holes in the ground. <laughs> By golly. It was a great moment. <laughs> yeah, that's what, uh, that's always my favorite is uh, the people that know better than me how to grow grass. And I say, hey, here's my keys. You can go run the place for a day. Let me know how it works out. Mm-hmm. You know, good luck. Yeah. So, okay, back to uh, sister in law's yard. Yeah. So, broadcast, let's say I do that. Let's say I drag a little bit after that. And I also have a roller there that I could pull behind oh, I would forward. Definitely. I'm, I'm a huge proponent. Sod seed. I don't care what you're doing. Tack that stuff in. Do yourself a favor. Yep. You know, and even if it's, uh, you know, we'll, we'll do this, you know, from time to time on different projects. But if it's a small enough area, you know, just driving like a, uh, an ATV you know, with those knobby tires or something over it, that's fine. That's enough to do it. You know, when, uh, I think we've talked about it on here before, but kind of the gold standard in, uh, when they do putting greens and construct those, uh, and see them is they're taking the sand pro, like the bunker rake thing that they have. That's got the knobby little mm-hmm. dimple tires. And that's like anywhere you go that seeds in a putting green, that's what they're using to, to, to track it in. Cause it just, it works. And people have found that out. So same thing on native soil with ATV tires, uh, UTV side-by-sides, anything like that will, is a great tool. But if you got a roller, yep, roll that beautiful bean footage for sure. <laughs> exactly. I've got the roller. I've got a four-wheeler. So Perfect. So then let's talk about watering. Is You're going to do this all April-ish, yeah? Mm-hmm. Like Ground conditions? Probably you know? about a week to a week and a half from now it's looking like maybe you just said that it's going to rain all that week now so yeah thanks yeah thanks a lot so (laughs) so you're going to be in a watering situation are they able to water it are they just literally relying on mother nature to take care of it i asked that question today and it sounded like they were going to be able to water to an extent now is this up close to the house and yeah it'll be yeah if we can get something set up because she said we can pull some hoses out there get a few things set up and she works from home. So she'll be able to like go out and, you know, start those every once in a while. Are you going to keep the GoPro on and like monitor to make sure that she, she keeps up with it? (laughs) I don't know if I'm allowed to do that. 
<laughs> All right. Well, you know, at least you know, just tell her, hey, next year's Christmas gift is based upon how well you do this. So it's it's mm-hmm. kind of important. Mm-hmm. It's kind of important. But so, uh, yeah, that's the only thing I would say there is just the thing um, that I think is a little bit more tricky with spring seedings, and it's also one where you can get into trouble pretty easily too, is the watering piece, right? Because you know, rain is usually more plentiful in that springtime period as opposed to the uh the fall where we you know it's drier we typically have more control of the water ourselves and so when we get into these situations we start thinking well that's wet enough i don't need to water and people get themselves into trouble of baking out their seed or too much it's rained enough and you're thinking oh well i still gotta water this stuff because it's you know i'm supposed to water it every day yep and i think that is where the tipping point is is really nailing that water management piece. And so again, if you're just relying on Mother Nature, like it'll be what it'll be, you'll deal with whatever weeds you get. You'll do another seeding in the sp- in the fall, and that's just the way it's going to be. And mm-hmm. again, nothing wrong with that. You're you're living with the results. I mean, you're if you if you can't irrigate it, won't irrigate it, whatever, then either accept that you're going to have uh, a pretty high threshold of weeds or get ready to spray some herbicide and reseed. My other concern would be that it's sort of a slightly sloped, not anything heavy, but you know, there it's kind of on the side of the house going away from the property. So there's kind of a slight slope down there where I was like, might want to think about some, you know, in a, in a grand world here, I would love to cover it completely with like something, you know, blankets or something like that. But it's, Mm -hmm. Probably not in the cards for this project in terms of budget and everything else. But how big is it, like area wise? Fourteen thousand. But that that's but that spot that sloped the whole thing is sloped. Like pretty that? much, it's all sloped. Oh golly. Okay. In a sense, yeah. like I said, it's not crazy, but. So yeah, again, same thing. Is you're dealing with some washouts or something like that? I mean, if you really want to go crazy, I mean, you really want to go crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Ryan Nor goes to Sunbelt and pulls with his beautiful new truck a 90 gallon hydro seeder out there. Now that would gets be fun. Some bales of hydro mulch, mixes that some bitch up and goes <laughs> to town. You ever uh, like envision yourself as being a firefighter and you're on the end of that, like that? I'm not talking like like the little hose or whatever, like the, the two or three inch hose that they have. I'm talking like the water cannon. Yeah. It, could you imagine yourself on that? But now it's spraying out this slurry of green sludge that is protecting the seed that you've so carefully planted into the earth for your dear, dear sister-in-law. It just reads, it's so poetic. I can hear the movie trailer playing for the YouTube drop right now. I just don't know that we're going to find a hydro seeder around this area. But how, Okay, it's, you can't pull it out there. How far is it from Des Moines, like hours-wise? Uh, an hour and a half. Oh, you grab one in Des Moines and just drive it out there, dog. You got this. You got this. They ain't charging you for the miles. It's just the days, okay? It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> 14,000 square feet. So you would need... All right, let's. right, I'm going to do the math for you real quick. Yes, please do. Uh, you're going to need about eight to 900 pounds of hydro mulch. You dump that in the tank. You can put your you can put your fertilizer in there, too, if you wanted to. You can put some pre-plant in there. Um Maybe some, maybe from this company called Lawn Supply Company. I don't know if they. I, I, I hear they make soluble fertilizer, though. Uh, yeah, yeah, they do. Yeah, 
they do and you throw a little bit of that in there and i mean honestly like if you're um uh a seating company most of those guys now you being a rookie and not having done it before most of those guys will throw in the tenacity right into the hydro mix tank and just go for it no that would be yeah but what if we're going for a free route which is this is iowa so we're it's called i'm gonna look this up it's called if straw the, it's called straw straw <laughs> straw would work now okay so then you make your life easy there. You go down to Sunbelt, you get yourself a straw blower, right? And you tell her, have all that straw delivered. Have you ever used a straw Fun blower fact. Fun fact, RD. Yes. I'm allergic to straw. So, okay, literally. Okay, he's taking Allegra, and we're going to get this thing done, right? <laughs> Remember that scene in Austin Powers where he's, you know, who does number two work for? And Tom Arnold's in the stall next to him, and he's like, hey, grab onto something, bite down, and give this thing hell. Come on. We're going to get through this, right? This is you right now. You can take... An allergy pill, we'll get you a shot. We'll put a clothespin on your nose. I don't know, but like this has to happen. This this content with your wife running the drone of you out there, like on the on the the straw blower or the hydro seater, like you're on a fifty caliber machine gun. It does sound fun. It, it does cinematic. The, the visuals are there. I can see it. <laughs> <laughs> really like really triumphant music. Like it's dude, it's there. So yeah, the straw blower could be an option there too. Um, the only thing with straw, and I don't know what I, I got to think that it gets kind of windy out there and things like that. But it could oh, blow around. Lord, it's it windy be, as hell. Yeah. So like, typically when guys will do that, they'll they'll straw it, and if they care about it, like if it's not just like some, uh, you know, flat roadside or something like that, they'll they'll spray on it. Using the hydro seeder, they'll spray on tackifier mm-hmm. to keep it locked down. So I know we're we're inc- greatly increasing the degree of difficulty, but it would be cool. It would be something different, right? What okay? What other legitimate lawn t- YouTuber has actually operated a hydro seeder or a straw blower before in the act of filming actual content for their for their channel? No, you're not wrong. I don't think anybody. The answer is nobody. The answer is. Ryan Nord did that in April of 2021, right? And I convinced him to do it. I am the enabler, and I feel good about that. So, I'll look up Sunbelt for you. We'll get them. Uh, we'll get you an account set up there. Pull it on out there, right? I think. So. I mean, we might have to do some the the hydro seating. <laughs> damn it, it does sound fun. I will say that. Well, you don't even have to put the seed in there. You can seed it and then just and then just spray it down with the mulch to hold everything in there and hold some moisture in and all that kind of th- stuff. So mm-hmm. I don't know. It could spur on a, uh, a, uh, an affiliate link for everybody to rent a 90 gallon <laughs> hydro seeder from uh, Sunbelt through the Ryan Nor affiliate link. That there we go. Sweet. That would be awesome. Gotta have that affiliate. Like, you know, Sunbelt, somebody at corporate, you know, a year from now is going to be like, God damn, who is this Ryan Nor guy? What the, <laughs> we got to buy like 10 more, you know, uh, 90 gallon hydro seeders for every location because this guy's going ape shit. <laughs> it would be fun. It really would. So all right. So pie in the sky, we're gonna do the hydro the hydro mulch at the minimum. But if you don't do that, yeah, you're just accepting the fact that it's gonna get washed out. It's gonna be a tough summer. There might not be that much lawn and come back in the fall, spray out your weeds and overseed again. Right. Mm -hmm. And the difficult thing there always is, especially with the spring seeding, is, you know, you're going to have soil erosion, right? You're going to have stuff that washes out, washes off, whatever the case might be. 
And because you've already got desirable turf established there in many cases, it's hard to rough that up. So now you're having to bring in some soil and it gets a, it gets kind of labor intensive, especially on 14,000 square feet. So again, when I say this of, it sounds stupid of, man, this guy's telling me to bring in a hydro mulcher and no, I get it. gracious. What is this guy I get smoking? It. But I'm trying to save people the heartache on the back end of rolling out there with wheelbarrows of topsoil and having to, you know, feather all that stuff into different areas here and about the lawn. That's just, I'd that's prefer, no I prefer to sift that myself. Oh God, <laughs> don't, don't even get me started. You're an, you're an absolute masochist, sir. RD loves you. when I sift the old topsoil. Well, you know who we have to get on here as a guest sometime. We have to get on, um, the person, uh, from, from England that they convinced to, He's fixing his soccer goal right now, you know, seeding into that. If you don't know who we're talking about, you're listening along. There's again, there's a small group that we're a part of, and somehow this young lad from the UK found his way in there. And nice guy, a great, great kid, and has a soccer pitch in his backyard. Is trying to fix it and is taking advice from, um, you know, the 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 turf uh, brain trust, if you want to call it that. <laughs> of uh rk myself and, and a few other folks and um so he was putting topsoil down and the 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 young kid said hey i want to sift this before we put it down and i swear i wish we would have had a camera on rk at when the exact moment that he typed this because it was like the heavens broke apart the sun was shining down and he could hear the angels singing because it was like this it was the me. moment. It was he the gets me. moment. He didn't even know. He didn't even know who Ryan Nor was, right? And then he starts going and watching his videos after he finds this out, and it's like these two are brothers from a different continent. It's just you know, and there's like you know a huge age gap, but that's that's irrelevant too. <laughs> you call but, me old? Uh, oh, definitely, definitely. Yep. You you, I feel me. I can't remember this kid's exact age, but he's he's in high schoolish probably. So yeah, you could definitely be his father. That's how old you are, dude. That's scary. It really is. Isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> hey, but if, you know, if you were if you were going to have, you know, a 15-year-old son now, wouldn't you want him to be able to sift topsoil on his own? Uh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, fish, cook, you know, do all, you know, clean and also sift topsoil. Yeah. Just, if I were yeah. to have had children, that would have been one of my lifelong goals for them. Definitely. Yeah. 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 Hey, Dad, can I learn how to balance a checkbook? Nope, not until you can sift topsoil. Yeah. All right. So I think we have that seating at least somewhat down here. So I'll figure <laughs> out something and then, you know, I'm going to see what kind of fun I can get into with it. But I am looking forward to it anyway. Great content. I can't wait. So let's go to a couple of listener slash viewer questions. I think this is Ooh. stuff we mostly pulled from YouTube, but uh, first question here is kind of related to the pre-emergent stuff we were talking about earlier, but mm -hmm. I'm new to lawn care and did my first overseeding last fall in northern Utah. I walked my lawn yesterday and noted some small grass still coming up, so my question is, am I okay to, am I okay to use a fertilizer with prodiamine, or will that be harmful to the new grass that's still coming in? Absolutely, it will be, right? Because... It creates a vapor barrier right in that upper half or so inch of soil, and as soon as a new root touches that, it's going to be toast. It doesn't, and 
that it does not discriminate between desirable and undesirable. So on new seedings, that's why we say we can't seed, you know, into that because any seeds or any germination uh, is going to get uh, wiped out. So in that case, I would be a little hesitant to throw that down. I would be more inclined to, again, kind of go the route that we talked about, using tenacity as a weak pre-emergent, you know, so two apps at four fluid ounces to the acre, 30 days apart, you know, kind of first one when you would normally put down uh, your traditional pre-emergent and then go again 30 days later and then save uh, the additional tenacity to go out and spray post-emergent and clean up any of your um, emerging crabgrass, say in you know June, something like that. And if you miss some of that and it still continues to break through, um, come back later on in the fall. But ideally, you'd also mix that with drive. So you'd mix that tenacity and drive, you'd have pretty good luck. Yeah. And hopefully, if he's got more grass coming in, maybe most of it's going to be covered too as well. And then as it matures, you know, it's going to have good cover of the lawn, hopefully. So, yeah, I'm, good point. I mean, just healthy turf crowd, not weeds. And there's, you know, I think that'll help out uh, as well. Yep. Next question was I got my soil sample last year. It advised for 75 pounds per 1,000 square feet of lime and a 313 fertilizer treatment. They write up advise no more than 50 pounds at a time for lime, so that's what I did in the fall. When is the right time to add the extra 25 pounds of lime? Uh, so kind of just, yeah, I generally read you should aerate when doing lime. Does that still apply with me trying to do this as well? Okay, so... I don't know First anything about is, lime, let's just say that. <laughs> yeah, because you're in alkaline territory. There's, yeah. there, you'll, you'll never need lime where you're at. So um, with the lime, 50 pounds at once, I mean, that's a lot to throw down at once. You can do it for sure, and I'm not sure where this uh, person is located, what you know, geographic area, anything like that. Mm, but Yeah, I don't think it's said. So in general terms, I mean, I would keep it to 25 pounds and split that up over three apps, right? And I think you can go, you know, spring, like early spring, um, maybe late spring, early summer, and then fall. That'd be no problem. I think the question also comes up too about, you know, fertilizer apps. How far should those be apart? Ideally, we'd like to spread those out over at least a couple of weeks, like so lime and then fertilizer, not until at least another two or maybe even four weeks later if we can help that, right? And then from that point, um, looking at um, the 75 pounds part. So I encourage that person after they put this next 25 pounds down here soon to test their soil again here coming up in the spring. And again, the other thing you have to keep in, uh, take in mind or, or have an account there for lime is it's going to take a long time for it to get going and really start to make uh, strides in terms of your pH. So it's a one to three year process, right? And again, you might not see those gains, but um, continuing to test and see where you're at to get an, an accurate reading, that would be crucial instead of just continuing to think, oh, I'm just going to keep throwing down 75 pounds a year and go for broke. Uh, give yourself a chance to measure that, see where you're at, and then adjust your plan as needed. Cool. Yep. Speaking of soil tests, we're going to go to the next question, which is after our uh, little soil test video that we did um, oh, yeah. just a few days ago now says, mm -hmm. why are the recommended or optimal range numbers on the my, so my soil test so far different than what you talked about in this video? For example, <clears throat> the my soil test says 5 to 11 parts per million is optimal 
for phosphorus, and my test result at 18.41 parts per million is high. Yet in this video, you said 20 parts per million is talked about as the minimum slash floor. So, uh, the real answer is, I don't know. I don't know because I don't know what the myosoil methodology is for extracting that soil. Uh, I know that they use uh, an ion resin, which is kind of a newer technology in terms of turf. And so, the way that they're coming up with their numbers, they haven't really shared the details behind that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, what here, here's what I've seen relative to the numbers versus uh, the the accepted techniques for soil extraction for nutrients, right? Is that generally when it comes to the soil nutrients, the my soil test will mirror, not necessarily the parts per million, but mirror in terms of if I'm low in phosphorus on my soil, I'm going to be low in phosphorus on a malic three, which is a normal uh, soil test extractant that we use widely across the entire country. Um, same thing with many of the other nutrients. And when it comes down to it, um, I think that with MySo, we just need some more information on what their, their their levels are and how they're coming up with that, right? So like if it's, I can't remember if it's six parts per million on phosphorus or whatever, um, you know, the, the level that you were using is somewhere between 18 and 20 as a very minimum floor. I don't know how they're coming up with it. And if you can correlate and say, hey, it's going to be, if it's, you know, five or six for MySo, it's going to be, 18 or 24 Malik 3. We right. don't have that information yet. We don't have any correlation to be able to say low is low here and it's low on this side too uh, with a Malik 3. So still emerging, I would just say no matter what you do, just stick with a certain lab. Like if you like my soil, I'm not going to dog you for that. Just you continue to use my soil as your basis and your guide. Um, but be wary of any soil lab that you test with that also gives you exact product recommendations because that to me is a conflict of interest and not somebody that is a independent lab that is giving you um, necessarily, I wouldn't say not all the information, but um, it's giving you a little bit too much rather than you make your own choice on what you want to use. But I understand the convenience side of things. All that aside, um, choose a lab that's independent and that's accredited, and then go from there. Yeah, that's why I've, I've liked you know consistently using the waypoint close to me because I got that kind of baseline, and then year after year, I know they're using the same type of methods. I don't have to be confused as to converting anything, or you know, I can kind of see how things have moved along and how that all works out. So, well, hey, that was a, a we've talked about a lot there, and you know, I'm not sure that we got anywhere other than we <laughs> talked about a lot, but I know. That you're now going to you know, be the proud new owner of a green sunbelt uh, rental for a weekend, hopefully. We're going to get some grass seeded. We're going to get uh, some pre-emergent down in some areas. And um, we might even get Keystone Light as a sponsor. It's hard to say at this point, but you know the offer's out there. There's got to be somebody in this audience somewhere in my network that you know, works for Coors or something, and they're willing to entertain our ideas here. I mean, I can be the poster child for Keystone. It's already in my blood most days, so. It's it's in my stomach most <laughs> days. So I think collectively between the two of us, uh, we, get, we know a thing or two about grass, and who doesn't like mowing grass without a cold Keystone in their hand at their side like an old friend. It's exactly right. It's exactly yep. right. It's poetry. It's It's absolute poetry. 
Well, hey, RK, it was great chatting on turf. Uh, here at episode 13, we're teenagers now on, on this show. Hard to believe. We'll keep it going. We'll see uh, what this uh, this next busy month, I'm sure, for both of us brings us. But we'll try to get back out of here uh, quicker than usual if we can. That sounds great. Thanks again for listening, everyone. If you, uh, you know, maybe RD will be back on some videos here soon. We don't know. He gets real technical and has some, some problems with being sciencey. So, you know, we'll see how that all works out. But. I'm so I'm just too complicated for everybody, but <laughs> I try not to be. RK, thanks as always, and hey, everybody, enjoy the weather, enjoy uh, grass mowing weather, and get out there and get after it. Sounds good to me. We'll uh, talk to y'all later. See you.